This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Amen. What's well, good to be in the house of the Lord on a cold winter night, isn't it? Amen. Well, we had a great time this morning, kind of kicking off the Christmas season. Uh, my dad had a great message on who Jesus really is. And, uh, I mean, that was awesome. You should listen to the podcast if you didn't get a chance to hear that this morning. Uh, but tonight, uh, as, as we kind of move into the Christmas season, the holiday season, there's something that's on my heart to talk about. And the title tonight is this, is Guard the Home. Because I don't know if you realize it or not, Satan, first of all, he's real. We're not giving him any glory, but I am acknowledging the fact that he does exist. Because there's a whole lot of people that they're like, okay, I, I believe God's real. I'm, I'm, I'm cool with that idea. But not as many people believe that the devil's real. And again, I'm not giving him any glory or credit, but you're, you know, you're in denial if you don't believe that he exists. He does exist. And that's why we have so many things happen in this world that, uh, that we don't want to happen. You know, we read it this morning in First uh, Corinthians four four. It tells us that Satan currently is the god of this world. I mean, that's the scripture tells us that. You mean God's not? The, well, Jesus is Lord of my life and of your life because we've submitted to Him. But I don't know if you've seen it. There's a whole lot of people out there that Jesus obviously isn't their Lord, or they wouldn't be doing the things they do. And so the majority of this world, the majority of the Earth's population, is under the control of the devil. That's why. A lot of the really bad things happen uh, that we see happening. And so with that being said, you better realize, you better recognize that he wants to take the Christian family down. He wants to take the Christian family down. And, you know, it's not a doom and gloom thing, but but we can't. We can't properly fight the battle if we don't acknowledge, you know, what's going on, if our eyes aren't open. And and one time of the year that he especially loves to come in and and hurt families is the holiday time. I know this. And it's incredible because this time of year is set aside for Jesus. Right. I mean, I enjoy I enjoy the Christmas movies, a big Christmas movie guy, big sweater guy, big, you know, all this. You guys know all this. I live for Christmas. I mean, the rest of the year is just there. But I mean, you know, November and December is what I'm all about. But at the same time, I love it so much because it's about Jesus being born into this world. Think about this. If Jesus had not been born into the human race, right? If he had just, you know, stayed in in heaven that whole time. If Jesus had not been born into this human race, you and I would be up the creek without a paddle. Our lives would be doomed right now. Why is that? Because the only way, the only way to pay for sins is to shed blood. That's the only way to pay for sins. Somebody's blood's got to be shed, right? And in the Old Testament, they would shed the, 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 the blood of animals. They'd sacrifice a goat or a turtle dove or a, or a sheep or something like that. And it would only work for so long, but it was never a permanent thing. And so the only way to pay the sins for the entire human race was if we could have a perfect person shed their blood. Well, I was disqualified immediately, and so were you, because I'm not perfect and neither are you. And so the only way to get a perfect person was to have God himself come into this world and become one of us. And so Jesus came into this world 
and became a person because only people can die. Hebrews explains this very well. Only human beings can die. So Jesus, only as a spirit, couldn't have died for our sins because spirits can't die. So Jesus becomes a human being, is born for the sole purpose. His entire calling was to come and be born simply so he could die, so he could pay the price for all of us. And it's a beautiful thing to think about, and it really puts the Christmas time into perspective. That's what we're supposed to be celebrating, but in the middle of all this, the devil comes, right, with his attack on the marriage, on the kids, on the family, on on even your relationships with other Christians, but he would love to come in right now during this time of year and throw a wrecking ball at your household and split you like some bowling pins and get you all over the place. But we're not going to let that happen, are we? No, we don't we don't roll over and play dead. We're going to fight the good fight of faith. And I'm going to show you some stuff in the Bible tonight. But it's so important to me that the Christian family, the Christian household stays strong. And so we're talking about guarding the home. And I know that this time of year can also be pretty hectic. You've got a lot of stuff going on. I was thinking yesterday we did the Samples Family Christmas pictures, and that was an experience right there. But just getting, we went out to my parents' house, and that whole morning, man, I was, I'm just going to be honest, it was an awful morning. There's, you know, you'd get one kid dressed, and the next thing you know, he's out in the backyard doing like dirt angels or something in the stand. We had to go change your clothes again. And then you got some kid over here decides in his white shirt to go eat a popsicle. And then you've got, I mean, just one thing, it, it could not have, it seems like it couldn't have gone any worse. Then we get out there and of course, you know, none of the kids want to stand still. It was wild. And I was like, oh, what is all this? And I was getting upset. But listen to me. This is the time of year that should be the best time of year that you should be thinking about Jesus. You should be drawn together as a family and Satan wants to come in and attack your family all year long. But I want to especially be on guard right now. And so I want to say a few things tonight. I want you to pay attention. I want you to to look at these verses and I want you to have a strong family this Christmas. Okay. And so the first thing is this number one, no doubt about it. Number one, Satan wants to attack your home. Satan wants to attack your home. And, you know, I, I joked about this this morning, but who all has seen the great inspirational, deep, deep movie of Home Alone, number one? Okay. One and two count. After that, they don't count. But especially four or five, whatever those other ones are, I mean, they're like on number seven now, and it's all B-list, C-list stuff. It's pure garbage. But Home Alone one and two, those count. That's the real deal right there. The real deal. And number one, this little guy's at home, right? And and the, the bad guys come to attack the family. They come to attack the home, actually. And this little kid has enough sense to actually put up a fight. And it's all silly and funny. And, you know, it is, it's an awesome movie. But at the same time, I see a whole lot of households getting attacked from the outside. And, and there's grown Christian men that won't put up a fight like little Kevin did, right? Or, or like there's grown Christian women and moms and wives that won't put up a fight for their family and their household like little Kevin did. And I'm telling you right now, Satan comes to attack my household. We're putting up a fight and we're kicking him out. He's not going to come in and get my household. And so I want to show you something here in John 10, verse 10. Now, I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that at least 50 percent of this room could quote this verse. And it's not putting you down if you can't, but you do need to know this verse. You really need to know this. John 10, verse 10. And I'll be in the New King James on this one. John 10, verse 10. And so if you've been around here long enough, you know this verse. And you know that this answers the question of 
did God send this bad thing into my life? Or, you know, I wonder why this happened or, or what caused this bad situation to happen. Well, here's the answer right here as to where a lot of things come from. John 10, verse 10, it says, The thief does not come except to what? Steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And so Satan is on a threefold mission. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy your life in every area possible. I mean, your family, your health, your mental health, your children, your household, your finances, your job. He wants to come and absolutely steal, kill, and destroy. But what is Jesus' mission? He came that we would have life and have it more abundantly. And so not just so you would have life as in the fact that you've got oxygen flowing through your lungs. Well, technically he's alive, so he has life. That's not living, man. I need more than that. I don't want to just exist on planet Earth. He said he came that we would have life and have it more abundantly. He's talking about living, living, living this life, having your needs met, having the joy of the Lord, having the Prince of Peace. Come into your life every day, man. Enjoying your church family, enjoying your job. He came that you would not only be alive, but that you would love your life. That your life would be awesome. That's why Jesus came. And so, any chance the devil gets, he's going to come steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to split up your marriage. He wants to take your kids. He wants you to fight with everybody. That's what he's coming to do. Now, I like something that Gloria Copeland said in the in the um, Faith to Faith Daily Devotion, which... I talk about a lot. It's in the bookstore, but best devotion on the market. Uh, but Gloria Copeland said this. She said, spiritually speaking, your family is under attack. You see, it's not only one of your most precious gifts. When it's operating in harmony, it's one of your most powerful resources. Satan knows that even if you don't, and he's out to destroy it. And so your family is not only one of your most precious gifts from God, if Your Christian family is in harmony. It is one of your most powerful resources. Think about think about the power in a Christian home when we've got a mom and a dad that have got married. They love each other. They love the Lord. They're raising their children in the ways of God. You've got a household of four or five people that are in harmony, getting along, learning the Bible together. That is Satan's worst nightmare the psalms talks about it i mean it talks about how powerful it is for for a for a a family to have a a house full of kids for the kids to be sitting around that table what a blessing it is for mom and dad to have a house full this is god's will and when done properly this is one of the satan's biggest nightmares to see not only oh man not only are, are you know Robert and Susan saved now, they've they've left the kingdom of the devil. Now they're but now they're raising up another generation to come and destroy the works of the devil. What a nightmare to the devil! And so, no doubt about it, one of Satan's number one targets is the Christian family, families in general, but especially he wants to destroy a Christian household. And you need to realize that your family is one of your most valuable resources. Now, obviously, there's an attack on families worldwide. We know that. Divorce rates are higher than ever. We know that. And in 1970, the great state of California introduced the no-fault divorce law, and the other 49 states followed pretty quickly after that. And since then, uh, divorce rates have skyrocketed. 
And I'm not going to go into all this, but I do have research from Harvard that's very, very thoroughly proves that the divorce rate amongst actual church-going Christian families, not fakers, not I'm not being mean, but but legit people that actually follow their faith, legit church-going Christian families, the divorce rate's under 10%, which is, that is almost unheard of, to go from over 50%, the rest of the population, to under 10%. That's insane, statistically, to have that giant of a drop. And so what does that tell me? I'm going to take my wife and kids to church, man. (laughs) My chances of survival just went up big time if I'm doing this the right way. But we do see an attack. And so I want to show you something here in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 through 12. Ephesians 6, verses 11 through 12. And I'm, I'm very thankful and blessed that I grew up in a healthy family and I, 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 understand that not everybody here did i'm so i'm not trying to bring up uh wounds or anything like that i know a lot of your stories and and not everybody was blessed to grow up in a healthy christian household like that but that doesn't mean you can't be the first healthy christian household in your family somebody's going to have to be the first one why don't it be you you know what i mean why say well i don't i can't raise kids and have a good marriage i mean you saw where i came from Let's 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 start right here and do this right. Well, I've already been divorced. Who cares? That's the past. Let's do this right. Starting right here. Christmas 2019. Let's decide, hey, we're going to make an absolute success out of this family, whether it's just me and these kids by myself or if it's a husband and wife, whatever the case is, you're going to do this right because you are going to be a healthy Christian family. Ephesians 6, 11 through 12. It says, put on all of God's armor. Well, why would I need all of God's armor? So you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. Strategies of the devil. The devil has a lot of ways that he wants to come and attack. He has strategies. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. We're not? No. We're fighting against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And so it tells us right there that, no doubt about it, there is spiritual warfare. And whether you whether you uh, acknowledge that or not, that doesn't change the fact that it's happening and it's going on. So we have sticking your head in the sand and saying, there's no such thing as the devil. There's no such thing as spiritual warfare. That just means you're the easiest target there is okay the guy that the guy that pretends that he's not actually in the war zone is the guy that's pretty easy to pick off listen it's real but the good news is is that we have the armor of god so we can stand firm against all the strategies of the devil all his tricks all his schemes all his plans we've got what it takes to overcome and 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 notice right here it says we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies People are not your problem. That's where the majority get it wrong. They think that their boss really is the problem. They think that their wife or their husband or their, you know, their, their little kids or whatever the kid, whatever the case is, they always think that people are the problem. And so they're running in circles their entire life trying to fight against people, trying to get people to, you know, get into line with what they think they should be. That's a losing battle. We are not fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against an unseen enemy, and that's the devil. 
But again, the good news is we have what it takes to overcome. We have what it takes to win this fight. Jesus didn't send us into the fight unarmed. He didn't send us into the fight unprepared. We are totally prepared, but we have to realize that there is a war going on. And, you know, Satan is fairly smart, you know, at least in some things. And I can say this, if I was going to attack a society, I'd go after the strongest thing that it had to offer. And I believe the strongest thing that our society has to offer, speaking in the United States at least, is the Christian family. That's the strongest thing that we have. It's not all of our money, and the United States has a lot of money. Let's get real. A lot of money. It's not our military. We have the best in the world. It's not, you know, all the great things that we have here. The absolute strongest thing is the Christian family and the household. That's the absolute truth. And so there is an attack. There is, uh, there, there has been attack for, for decades to try to split families apart. And obviously on a large scale, it's worked and been quite successful, but no more, at least not. I'm, I'll say, you know, everybody else can do what they want to do, but I'm like Joshua and Joshua 24, 15. He's like, you all can serve the gods. Your grandpa served on the other side of the river. You can serve the gods of everybody else right here. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You all do what you want to do, but the Samples household will serve the Lord. I don't care if we're the only people in Barstow doing it. We're going to serve the Lord. We're going to go to church. We're going to pay our tithe. Amen. And I know that we've got a church full of people here that are doing the same thing. But a family functioning in harmony is unstoppable. I like what Kenneth Copeland said. So I showed you what Gloria said. Kenneth said, living in a home filled with the love and the peace of God himself is almost like living in heaven right here on earth. I love that. Living in a home filled with the love and peace of God himself is almost like living in heaven right here on earth. What a thought that your household, your home is supposed to be a sanctuary of peace, a haven for you to come. I mean, you've been at work all day. The kids have been at school. You've had mud slung at you from the world all day long. We should look forward to going home and say, man, this is this is my place. This is I know they I dealt with them all day long, but this is my sanctuary of peace. I'm coming home right now. And we should look forward to it, not, oh, great, the boss is mad. Now i got to go home and deal with the kids next. (laughs) That shouldn't be our thought. We should want to be able to go home, and it should be a place filled with peace and harmony. And, hey, listen, I fully realize when you got a house full of little kids, it's loud. There's stuff going on, man, all the time. But praise God, we have the joy of the Lord and the peace of God right in the midst of all of it, don't we? Why? Because Jesus is Lord and he is Lord of our house. Amen. And so the first thing I said is that no doubt about it, that there's an attack on the home. But the second thing I want to say is this. Number two is stop him. Stop him. Don't just say, oh, man, we're under attack. Oh, God. No. Stop him. Do something about it. Fight back. Do something. And so the biggest way to stop him, the biggest way to fight back is to walk in love. Walk in love. A Christian that knows the word of God. Okay, well, that's that's the obviously way up there. But 
Besides that, a Christian that walks in love, you are pretty much unstoppable, man. Because your faith is firing on all cylinders. Because my dad just shared that verse, Galatians 5, 6. Faith works by love. And so your faith is firing. People can't bring you down. Your household's in harmony. A Christian that's walking in love is a beast, man. He, a Christian that's walking in love is a force to be reckoned with. Now, the world will tell you, you know, that oh, that's stupid, man. People are walking all over you, pushing you over. People are just having... No, they're not. No. No way. You know, people could mistake Jesus' love as a weakness because it says when he was being insulted and threatened, he didn't even respond. They were doing all that. They were threatening him. They were they were going at him. He didn't even defend himself. He didn't even say, all right, guys, that's enough. All right. My mom's here watching all of this because she was. He didn't do that. He didn't say, you know what? I, I'm going to stand up for myself and say that these accus- accusations are wrong. He, he didn't do any of that. It says, as a sheep is led to the slaughter, Jesus was led to the cross and didn't even defend himself. He sounds like a pushover, doesn't he? No, he sounds like the savior of the world. Sounds to me like the strongest person that's ever walked on this earth. So, I'm, I mean, if that, if doing what Jesus did makes me a pushover, then fine. I'd rather be called that than a lot of the things that a lot of the tough guys I see in this world are. A lot of people that got to always prove how tough they are. Well, nobody can tell me. Nobody can walk. All right, fine. Yes, all right. Go ahead. Have fun with your fifth marriage. Have fun with your kids hating you. You know, let's just get real. I'm going to live my life to the best of my ability the way that Jesus did. And his ways are contrary to everything this world says. He says, give and it'll be given back to you. You give and you'll have more than you had in the beginning. That doesn't make any sense. That's stupid. Well, Jesus said to do it and it's worked for thousands of years for those that have done it. Love your enemies. Pray for those who have used you. Turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. That's weak. All right, fine. You know what? I'll still have a family. My faith's still going to work. I'll still be standing. You can go to the grave swinging and proving how tough you are, but those that walk in love and do things Jesus' way, they're still standing. And so we're not turning there, but Ephesians 4.32, is we are told to forgive others the same way that God forgave you. It says that you're to forgive as you have been forgiven. So how was it that God forgave you? Good question. Excellent question. Austin, was it you that asked that? It was okay. It was Austin. So Isaiah 43 and verse 25, just to everyone else can listen, but I'm just giving it giving this to him. Isaiah 43 and verse 25. Now, check this out. This is how you've been forgiven. And I like God's method of forgiveness because the world says, I forgive you until the next time you make a mad that they bring up what they forgave you for. That's not forgiveness. I forgive you, then then you make make a mad tomorrow. Hey, I remember when you did this. I thought you said you forgave me for that. Oh no, oh no. That's the world's method of forgiveness. That doesn't work. Isaiah 43, verse 25, the Lord says, I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake and will never think of them again. I like that method of forgiveness. 
He says, I'll blot them out and I will never think of them again. So in other words, when God forgives, he forgets. And I can tell you this much. If you're ever being reminded of your past mistakes or of who the old you was, it is not God reminding you. He doesn't do that. You know, you're, I mean, I remember one time I was back when I worked at FedEx, I'm stacking boxes and all this. And it was the it was demonic. I've never in my life had anything like this happen. But I all of a sudden in the middle of my work shift, I had just the biggest sense of guilt and shame and condemnation, just like a cloud hovered over me. And out of nowhere, I felt so guilty, so depressed, so just so down thinking about everything I had ever done wrong in my life. And I'm like, you know why you're in this situation? You did it because you did this, this and this. And oh, yeah. Oh, I know you talked to God about it. But come on, let's get real. here. I'm having all these thoughts go on and I'm sitting like, man, you're right. Wow. Gosh, man, what a what a screw up. Oh, and I've got all this. I mean, I mean, I'm I'm I am in a bad shape. Then all of a sudden this verse pops into my mind. Wait a minute. I talked to God about all this. I gave this to Jesus a while back. I repented and I quit doing all those stupid things. This is not God reminding me to keep me in check, to keep me humble about all the bad things I used to do. This is the devil. The scripture calls him the accuser of the brethren. He's coming in, bringing up everything that I had buried. He dug up all that old mess and he's bringing it back. And I'm sitting here taking it in. That's the devil. And when I realized that, oh, man, I rebuked him in the name of Jesus. I took authority and I cast all that behind me and left it there. So if you're being reminded of all your past mistakes, it's not God doing it. And on top of that, in your family, in your household, if you told one of your family members that you forgive them, quit bringing up their past mistakes. That's messed up. That's wrong. Now, it's one thing if somebody, you know, repented, but they, they keep doing it all the time. I mean, obviously, that wasn't true repentance because true repentance is stopping, you know. But if somebody in your household asks forgiveness and they're at least trying, they're making progress. It is wrong. To keep bringing up their mistake. Well, why is that wrong? I just told you. Ephesians 4.32. You're to forgive as you have been forgiven. And you are forgiven with a forgiveness that forgets. So that's why it's wrong to keep bringing up everybody's past mistakes. I heard this old story in, uh, uh, from a, a, a preacher down in Haiti. I haven't told this in years, but it's coming to me on the spot. So I'm just going to roll with it. Hopefully I don't butcher it. But he told the story about this guy down there bought this house. And it was for an incredible deal. And and so he buys this house and the guy that's selling it says, there's only one stipulation. You get the whole house. I've got a nail over the front door that I get to retain possession of. You get the rest of the house. I get to keep this nail. And the guy's like, this is a great deal. Sure, I'll do it. And so what happens is the new guy buys the house. And then a couple days into it, the old guy brings an old, old dead goat carcass and hangs it on this nail. And, and, and it's like, what in the world? And he had every right because the new guy let the old guy keep possession of one little bit of the house. 
And because he had this one control of one little area, he kept the, the stench and the decay and the nastiness every day. You'd wake up and there it is. Every day you'd wake up and there it is again. He let this guy have one little lunch. And after a while, he's like, fine, take your house back. I don't even want this anymore. Well, kind of the point of what the, the preacher from Haiti was talking about is a lot of people, you've given it all to God, but you've just let the devil have one little spot of your house. You've let him, you've let him keep possession of one little nail right above the doorpost. And every day he's coming and hanging some nasty old mess on there. And after a while, if you don't fully get him out of the household, you can't take it anymore. And something's got to give. Someone's going to run. Someone's going to go. Your house needs to be all dedicated to Jesus. Your TV. The things you eat and drink. The things, you know, the things that are said. The things that go on. The whole house needs to belong to Jesus. Don't give the devil one nail. Don't give him, well, this is room's kind of, you know, off limits. No. All Jesus the full thing. Be the full thing. Give it all to him. Do you think you're going to regret it? Do you think you're going to regret giving any portion of your life to Jesus? Not a chance, man. You don't regret it because when we give it to Jesus, he makes something beautiful happen that you could have never made happen. Right. And so we're talking about giving Jesus the full thing. Let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter four, Ecclesiastes chapter four. You know, I, in the line of thinking about forgiveness, I was thinking about Joseph in the Old Testament. Remember how his brothers kind of did him dirty? That's the understatement of the century. They did him really dirty. They they sold him into slavery. They mean they did it. They did a lot of bad stuff to him. But in the end, you all remember this story. Joseph is promoted to being the vice president of Egypt. He's the right hand guy to Pharaoh. Only Pharaoh had more power and authority than he did. And so through all of this, Joseph's brothers have to come and get their food from him during the famine. And I love, even in this Old Testament story here, how Joseph talk about the perfect setup for revenge. The very guys that sold you into slavery, that stole you away from your father, now they're coming to you and you have the right to deny them food and basically send them off into oblivion. Joseph doesn't do it. He forgives them and says, guys, hey, it's me, Joe. Little Joey, your brother. Hey, it's me. Hey, hey. And so they come back to him, right? He forgives them and he restores the entire family. I love that story of forgiveness. But you thought your family had dysfunction. That was a very dysfunctional family right there. I mean, me and my brothers got into it, but we never sold each other into slavery. (laughs) They never stole my coat of many colors. That never happened. But Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. You married people, listen to everybody, listen to it, but, but you married people especially, or if you're someone that wants to have a, you know, a husband or wife. Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 through 12, listen. It says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. You were called together. You didn't just end up together by some chance and some random thing like, well, you know, hey, there's nobody else left, so we got each other. No, man, you were called together. The word of God says that every day of your life was planned out before a single day had passed. This was planned. God knew what he was doing, right? And so two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. You know, when Katie and I got married so young, I talk about this quite a bit, but 
a lot of times people are like, don't you guys want to at least experience a little bit of the world before you, you know, do the old ball and chain, you know, type of thing? I mean, you don't, you ought to go have the college experience. You ought to go do this experience. And we were like, why do it alone when we could just do the whole college thing together? Why go out and experience all that when we could just experience it together? And so we got married and then went to college together. We did it all. We, we, we had, you know, the Christian college experience, the Christian college experience. We did all that, but we did it together. What, what's the point? Two are better than one because the other one can help the, you can help each other succeed. Why have to do all this alone when we could have each other? And so two people are better off than one. They can help each other succeed. Verse 10, if one person falls, the other can reach out and help. Or they can kick you further down the cliff. No, that's a joke. It's a joke. <laughs> I get really, really quiet. All right. Uh, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Here it goes. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Well, what's the third dynamic if we got two? The third is the Lord. You've got God in the center, husband and wife wrapped around that. We've got a triple braided cord that is not easily broken. I mean, it's not broken. That's that's solid stuff right there. This is God's will for our lives. This is what God has for us. A strong marriage is the best defense for a family. A strong family is unstoppable, man. I'm telling you right now, this is, this is God's will for you to have a strong, healthy marriage, to fight the battles together, to, to live life together. This is what God wants. And so out of all this, we've said that no doubt about it. Number one, there's an attack on the home. Number two, we're saying stop him. But number three is this, because I, 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 as much as I love defense, you got to have some offense. Number three, attack him. Right? If you're just blocking hits all the time, that's good. I mean, hey, you're surviving, but why not actually win in life? Why not go on the offensive and go after the devil? Man, if it, instead of just not, well, he's not chasing me anymore, chase him down, man. Make him pay. Make him pay for what he's tried to do for you. You know, the, the book of Proverbs talks about when you catch the thief, you make him pay sevenfold what he stole from you. If the devil has stole something from me, I'm not content just saying, hey, give me that back. Man, you're going to pay me seven times what you took from me. You are going to pay the price for messing with this son of God. You're going to pay the price for coming after this Christian family. You may have stole something. We're not only getting it back. You're going to pay interest sevenfold what you came and tried to take from us. And so number three, attack him. I don't want to just be defending attacks from the enemy all the time. I want to be on the offensive. I want to be chasing him down. I don't want to just be a survivor. I was not called to be a survivor. You know, I... I survived cancer, you know, what a lot of people would say. I don't say that I'm a cancer survivor. Man, me and Jesus and my parents' faith, we kicked cancer's butt. We conquered cancer. We conquered it. Why? Because 
we, according to Romans 8, are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loved us. It doesn't say, you, my friend, are a survivor. What? What's that? I mean, uh, uh, hey, a, sur- a surviving's better than not surviving, but I don't simply want to be a survivor. I want to be what Jesus called me to be. He called me to not only be a conqueror, but to be more than a conqueror. If somebody in here would get that right now, man, you would be leaping on the inside, man. I am. Don't insult me and tell me that I'm some sort of survivor. I am not. I am more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who loved me. Amen. And that's what you are, too. And there is no way in the world that I'm going to let Satan come in and steal the very best gift that Jesus gave to me. And that's my family. So Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. This is one of my favorite verses. Luke 10. We're going to look at verse 19. Luke 10, verse 19. Is anybody being encouraged tonight? Is your faith being built? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so if you're in here listening to these verses and the word of God, faith, if you're if you're hooked up, faith should be coming right now. You should be feeling stronger than you did an hour ago. Faith is all over this place. Luke chapter 10. And we're going to look at verse 19. Actually, let's look starting at verse 17 just for kicks. It's a good stuff. Luke 10, starting at verse 17. When the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. So Jesus sends out 72 disciples and he says, hey, use my name and and go do this stuff. And so these guys are going out. They're casting the devil out of people. They're laying hands on the sick and people are getting healed. They're doing all sorts of miracles. They come back to Jesus and they're like, it worked. Jesus, even the demons obey us every time we use your name. They're shocked about this. But look here at the next verse. Verse 18. Yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And so we realize that Satan started out in heaven, right? You can study this. out. He started out in heaven. He was a worship leader in heaven but pride came in and god had to give him the boot and god didn't just say hey we're gonna have to show you the door god slammed buddy out of heaven he threw him out of there and jesus says whoa he saw satan fall from heaven like lightning this was not a polite exit god threw this dude out and it was like a lightning bolt and jesus saw it and so jesus is never surprised when his name defeats the devil, people are like, oh, my gosh. He's like, this is the guy that I saw my dad kick out like lightning. I, there's, why are you surprised? He's a loser. And so Jesus isn't surprised at all. But to explain things further to them, because they're just they're so ecstatic that the name of Jesus actually works. Verse 19, he says, look, all right, here we go. I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. And you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. He says, I have given you authority over all the power, over all the power of the enemy when we use the name of Jesus. So what I'm talking about is not just defending the devil from hitting me. I'm talking about chasing that sucker down and making him pay for ever even thinking about messing with my family, for even thinking about trying to hurt 
the families of my church for trying to to to, to mess with you guys. I I mean, I'm not good enough to just defend this. I want to make him pay for what he's done to some of us. And that's exactly what we're going to do, because we have authority over all the power of the enemy. How much power of the enemy? All the power of the enemy. How about Ephesians 617? Let's flip over there. Ephesians 617. Because earlier we were in Ephesians 6 and we saw that it told us to uh, put on all the armor of God. And so it lists the armor of God for us right there in Ephesians chapter 6. And the armor is all defensive. It's all to block the fiery darts of the wicked one, as it says. So it's all a bunch of defensive stuff to stop you from getting hit by the devil. But then... There is one offensive weapon mentioned in this passage in the armor of God. So you've got a helmet, the helmet of salvation. You've got the, the belt of truth. You've got all this different stuff. But right down here in Ephesians 6, 17, it finally gets to what your weapon is. Ephesians 6, 17, and I'm in the New King James on this. Ephesians 6, 17 says, and take the helmet of salvation and look at this and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. There it is. That's your weapon. Well, how do I fight the devil? You get the sword out, man. You start swinging that thing. You use the weapon that you've been given. Well, how do we use the word of God? How do we use the sword of the spirit? You get the word in your heart. Then you speak it out of your mouth. That's how you use it. The sword is available to everybody. Every Every soldier in God's army has been issued the exact same weapon. There's nobody that got, you know, the the M16 and this guy over here got a 22 pistol. Everybody, we've all been given the same thing, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Sadly, a whole lot of soldiers in God's army, a whole lot of Christians, they've got it. They just have no idea how to use this thing. They're like, how do you, I don't, what do you do with it? I don't even know. You get it in your heart. You got to read it. Then you start speaking it. Out of your mouth. A Christian that knows to speak the word of God and actually believes it. It's up there on that wall behind me. Mark 11, man. Mountains move. Mountains are thrown into the sea when we believe it in our heart. And we say it with our mouth. We have whatsoever we say. And so the devil's trying to attack my home. First of all, no. I'm going to stop that. Then I'm going to chase him down. And I'm going to be speaking the word of God over my family, over my church, over my city, over anybody that's within my realm of influence. So you need to learn some scripture to speak on. Would you guys like an early Christmas present? Come on, I can't hear you. Yeah, tomorrow's Cyber Monday. Yeah, well, this is Sunday fun day. Wait, I don't know. Anyway, here's your early Christmas present. I'm going to give you folks four scriptures that you can stand. You can find more, but I'm going to give you four to stand on and quote over your household. No need to thank me. You thank me later. But Joshua 24:15 it says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Everybody else, you know, you whatever. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Joshua 24:15. How about Isaiah 54:17? It says, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Every tongue that rises against us in judgment shall be shown to be in the wrong. 
That's Isaiah 54, 17. How about Romans 8, 37? It says overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus. Amen. Romans 8, 37. And here's here's the last one for tonight. And that's first John four, four. Greater is he that's in me than he that is in this world. Oh, man. Well, the devil's out there. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world. I don't care where he's at. The greater one lives on the inside of me. I always win. I wouldn't go around saying that. The devil may hear you. I'll say it again and I'll say it in cursive. I always win every single time. Thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. We win every time when we do things God's way. If you want to have a good family, you want to have a good life. If you want to have a great Christmas, you better recognize some of the stuff we talked about. And you make Jesus the Lord of that household, no matter what anybody else says. And you just watch what God can do with you. Amen. Guard your home. Let's go ahead and stand up together tonight. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.